is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. Sitting there listening to that weather report reminded me that uh, I left the office about 8.15 Monday night and I was headed home and I got in the car and I headed up over the overpass going off Slater Road onto I-5 and I looked down at the dashboard and I saw that it said it was 70 degrees on there. And I actually had to call my wife at home and say, hey, what does it show that the temperature is outside? She says, well, 66. So by the time I got home, I uh, got out of the car, and I guess between the office and the car, I hadn't realized it was as warm as it was. Got home, that wind was blowing, and I said, man, I went in the house. I said, this is just like being in Hawaii right now. Anyway, this weather has been unreal. Let's go ahead and work on our weekly wrap for this week. And the market was dealing with a busy week of news and earnings results. Ultimately, the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed at fresh all-time highs on Friday, and the major indices all logged gains except the Russell 2000. The underperformance of the small-cap index was related to weakness in regional bank stocks after New York Community Bank reported that its provision for credit losses in the fourth quarter totaled $552 million compared to a $62 million provision for the three months ended in September of 23. The increase, it said, was primarily attributable to higher net charge-offs, as well as to weakness in the office sector, potential repricing risk in the multifamily portfolio, and an increase in classified assets. The added thunder came in the company's declaration that it would be cutting its dividend by 70%, to $0.05 cents a share per common share to build capital. This report brought and in mind, brought to mind the regional bank fallout from last year. The Spider S&P 500 Regional Banking ETF dropped 7.2% this week. Meanwhile, mega-cap stocks outperformed the broader market as a group following earnings results from some influential names, Alphabet or Google as we know it, Microsoft, reported results on Tuesday. The former logged a 6.7% decline for this week, while the latter, in this case Microsoft, climbed 1.8%. Apple, Amazon, and Meta Platforms all reported earnings on Thursday. Apple declined 3.4% for the week, while Amazon jumped 8% and Meta climbed 20.5%. These names combined make up nearly a quarter of the S&P 500 the mega-cap growth ETF climbed 2.1% this week. Dow component Boeing was another notable name that reported earnings this week, logged a 1.9% gain since last Friday. Boeing was still down about nearly 20% for the year, however, following the grounding of its 737 MAX 9 planes. In addition to earnings from influential names, this week's price action was driven by a recalibration of rate cut expectations following more strong economic data and the FOMC decision on Wednesday. The committee voted unanimously to leave the target range for the Fed funds rates unchanged at 5.25 to 5.5%. This move was expected, but the market was hoping for a dovish shift in rhetoric around the Fed's rate cut path. Instead, the directive declared that the committee does not expect it will be appropriate to reduce the target range until it has gained greater confidence that inflation is moving sustainably towards 2%. Fed Chair Powell reiterated this view in his subsequent press conference. Mr. Powell spoke specifically about the possibility of a March rate cut, saying that I don't think it is likely that the committee will reach a level of confidence by the time the March meeting to identify March at this time to do that. Cut rates, but that is to be seen. Just about everything sold off on Wednesday in response. The FOMC decision was followed by a much stronger-than-expected February employment situation report on Friday, which featured featured a big upside surprise in payroll growth that was accompanied by a larger-than-expected increase in average hourly earnings. As a result, the Fed Fund's future market repriced the probability of a 25-basis-point rate cut in the March FOMC meeting down to 20.5%, 
It was at 38% on Thursday and 47.6% one week ago, while the probability of a 25 basis point cut by the May FOMC meeting has been reduced to 74%. It was 93.8% on Thursday, according to the CME FedWatch tool. The two-year note yields declined two basis points to set 4.38%, and the 10-year note fell 13 basis points to 4.03%. So here are some summaries for the daily action for the week. On Monday, we saw the S&P 500. It was up 8 tenths of 1%. It closed at a fresh all-time high thanks to afternoon pickup and buying activity on below-average volume on the New York Stock Exchange. The Dow rose 6 tenths of 1%, the NASDAQ climbed 1.1%, and the Russell 2000 jumped 1.7%. Advancers had a 5-2 to two lead over decliners at the New York Stock Exchange and a better than 2-1% to one percent, two to one lead at the NASDAQ. The afternoon buying was positive reaction to the Treasury Department's first quarter borrowing estimate. The Treasury Department plans to borrow $760 billion in the first quarter, which is $55 billion below their forecast from October due to a higher net fiscal flows and higher cash balances at the beginning of the quarter. Borrowing in the second quarter is expected to reach about $202 billion. Monday's trade had modestly positive bias before the refunding estimate was announced, however, thanks in part to the outperforming mega-cap stocks. The early positive bias was also a function of the market's wait-and-see mentality in front of the busy week. Geopolitical angst was also part of the market narrative after a drone attack by the Iranian-backed militia groups in the U.S. outposts in Jordan that killed three U.S. soldiers and injured others. Still, oil prices declined, suggesting the market is not overly concerned about disruptions to supplies, despite President Biden saying that there would be a response for the attack, which actually the response did take place yesterday. There was no economic data of note on Monday, but on Tuesday there was a lot of conviction on either not a lot of conviction on either side of the tape. Market breadth was negative, but moderately so. Volume was below average. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed with a four-tenths of 1% gain. The S&P 500 was down a tenth. The NASDAQ was down eight-tenths. Relative weakness in mega-cap and semiconductor-rated stocks weighted on, weighed on the S&P 500. The NASDAQ composite component participants weighted for earnings results from those influential names in both spaces on Tuesday afternoon. Outsides moved in. Outsides moved in directions were limited to stocks that reported quarterly results since Monday's close. The mixed action was also a result of a wait-and-see mentality in the front of the FOMC decision on Wednesday, which was followed by Fed Chair Powell's press conferences. So reviewing Tuesday's data, we saw that the February or November FHA FA housing price index gained three-tenths of 1%. We also saw the November Case Shiller Home Price Index was up 5.4. January's consumer confidence was at 114.8. Prior was 108. And the key takeaway from this report is that the uptick in confidence was seen across all age groups fueled by factors that should support continued strength in consumer spending, slower inflation, expectations that interest rates will continue to come down, and favorable employment conditions. The December jolts or job openings reports 9.026 million. Prior was revised to 8.2 quarter million. On Wednesday, the major industries closed at or near their low, worst levels of the day. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 8 tenths of 1%, the S&P down 1.6, the NASDAQ down 2.2, and the Russell sank 2.5%. Volume was on the higher side of the New York Stock Exchange at the beginning week, but it increased on Wednesday as participants reacted to the latest news by the Federal Federal, uh, Open Market Committee. Just about everything in the stock market began selling off in response. Initially, mega-cap losses were having outsized impact on index performance, while the rest of the market held okay. So reviewing Wednesday's economic data, we saw the weekly mortgage banker association applications were down 7.2. The January ADP employment uh, change was up 107. The employment cost index was up nine tenths. The key takeaway from this report is that which Fed Powell kept a close eye on is that this shows disinflation in employment costs, offering another signal that after the core PCE price index for December, that inflation trends are moving in the right direction. 
And the January Chicago PMI was at 46. It was 46.84 the previous month. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. How do we earn our reputation for repairs you can trust? Great mechanics? Yeah. Quality parts? Absolutely. But the real secret is knowing the most important part of every vehicle is the driver. And here's your keys. She's already Right on time. Thanks. With over 30 years of service, you can trust Bellingham Automotive to help you with any regular maintenance needs or unexpected repairs. Schedule your appointment at 360-676-5200 or visit BellinghamAutomotive.com. If you're looking to get a new car, you could really cut expenses by bundling your car and renter's insurance with Progressive. Sure, you love your old car, but you know it's not normal to give instructions on how to open the window. It should be self-explanatory, but it's not. And notice how when you're in other people's cars, you can feel cushion in the seats? That's pretty nice, right? No, it's just normal. So bundle your renter's and car insurance with Progressive and put the savings toward a new car. It's time. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Not available in all states. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. KGMI Connects with Joe Tian is about our community and you. I happen to believe that the Bellingham, Whatcom County, uh, the Fraser River Delta, and Nooksack, is an enormous healing area. Each weekday at 4 p.m. I'm the old dog. When I walk down railroad, I'm the one who knows who just got here and who didn't. I see them, they're so angry from where they came from, and then through the years, they mellow out because there's a healing energy here. On KGMI 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. And we are live and we are in studio. And we're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center. That's out next to Wilson's Furniture. Hot Tubs Northwest is over in the other corner of the building. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. Check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. And right now, our office has been in a little bit of turmoil because we have been painting and reflooring and doing some updating in there. And so it's been that way now for about a month, month and a half. I did get back into my office a little bit yesterday. I had my computer back in there, but a little bit back and forth. I also want to put a plug in here for the Whatcom County Farm Forestry Association's annual tree sale. Uh, It started online. Uh, on February 1st, so that would start it on Thursday. It goes up till March 14th. Their quantities are limited, so buying as soon as you can are important. And their website is www.wafarmforestry, so that's wafarmforestry.com backslash Whatcom. That's www.wafarmforestry.com backslash Whatcom. And the seedlings are a dollar and a quarter each. And this is their pre-sale. The pickups only. You can go to the fairgrounds on Saturday, March 16th. And that will be from 10 a.m. to noon. Uh, As I said, this is their annual sale. They've got a big cross-section of of different types of trees. Blue spruce, cedars, uh, dug fir, fraser fir, sequoia, grand fir, Japanese larch. You can go down the line. Anyway, this is an annual sale. They've been doing it for years, and I like to plug up for them a little bit because I think what they're doing is great. So let's go ahead and finish this week's market summary. We saw on Thursday that stocks had a strong showing. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 1%. It won back everything that lost on Wednesday. 
Broad-based FOMC triggered retreat, closing at its high for the day. The S&P 500 was up 1.3, the NASDAQ up 1.3, and the Russell 2000 was up 1.4. They all closed near the best levels of the session. Mega-cap gains were impactful for index performance in front of influential earnings reports from that space on Thursday afternoon. But just about everything came along for the upside moves. Thursday's everything rally was briefly interrupted around mid-morning due to renewed weakness in regional bank stocks. This followed a huge loss on Wednesday's share when the New York Community Bank, which I mentioned earlier, after the bank slashed its dividend in part due to weakness in its commercial real estate portfolio. The index level deterioration was short-lived. Stocks quickly found the upside momentum again. So reviewing Thursday's day, we saw the data. We saw the weekly initial jobless claims at 224,000. Weekly continuing claims at 1.898 million. The key takeaway from this report shows that some softening in labor market conditions that remain consistent with the soft landing outlook. The um, uh, productivity, uh, fourth quarter productivity, uh, preliminary came in at 3.2%. Labor cost preliminary came in at a half. The key takeaway from this report is a t- the tame increase in unit labor costs that is being seen by the market as another inflation-friendly signal for the Fed to take into account as it considers when it might cut rates. January's S&P 500 global U.S. manufacturing PMI had a final of 50.7. We saw December construction spending up nine-tenths of one percent. The key takeaway from this report is that there was a solid construction spending activity in both the private and public sector. Private construction was up 11.8% year-over-year. Public construction up 21.3%. We also saw the January ISM manufacturing index at 49.1. Prior was at 47.1. So the key takeaway from this report is the contraction in manufacturing isn't gaining steam. The index hovers near the break-even mark of 50 which will continue to play into the market's soft landing outlook. On Friday, the S&P 500 was up 1.1, the Dow up with four-tenths. It set fresh record highs. The Nasdaq composite logged the 1.7% gain, setting a near, settling near its high for the day. The advanced decline line was negative, however, though at both the New York Stock Exchange and the Nasdaq and the equal-weighted S&P logged a one-tenth of 1% decline. We saw big gains in meta-platforms, Amazon, following pleasing earnings, even Apple, which briefly turned positive when the market was at session highs after being down as much as 4%, following relatively disappointing outlook for its second quarter iPhone sales. The negative bias under the index surface was related to the release of much of the stronger-than-expected employment situation report for January. The report featured a big upside surprise in payroll growth, that was accompanied by a larger-than-expected increase in average hourly earnings. The report is not likely to persuade the FOMC to cut rates as soon or as much as the market had hoped. As a result, the Fed Fund's future market repriced the probability of a 25 basis point in, in, but in March at 20.5%, while the probability of a 25 basis point cut in May was, was reduced to 74%, according to the CME FedWatch tool. Jobs report set Treasury yields higher, contributed to the underlying negative bias in the market. So reviewing Friday's economic data, the January employment report showed headlines on the key metrics, non-farm payrolls, private sector payrolls, the unemployment rate, and average hourly earnings that were stronger than expected, much stronger for the payroll data. The report also had a few quirks namely a notable drop in the average work week to 34.1 hours from 34.3. Benchmark revisions that showed non-farm payroll employment in November and December combined 126,000 higher than previously reported. An updated population estimates that the increase, the decreased the estimated size of the civilian non-institutional employment by 625,000 and the civilian labor, of course, by 299,000. The key takeaway, though, is that it's apt to be construed by the Fed as a report that on balance fits its current base case for seeing a March rate cut as unlikely. The final reading for the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index for January came in at 79, 
up from a preliminary reading of 78.8 and a final reading of 69.7 in December. In the same period a year ago, the index stood at 64.9, so the January reading represents the highest level for that index since July of 21. The key takeaway from this report is that the increase in sentiment reflects an improved uh, view of inflation and personal incomes that should bode well for consumer spending activity. We also saw factory orders increase two-tenths of 1% month-over-month in December after increasing 2.6% in November. If you exclude transportation, factory orders increased four-tenths of 1% on the heels of a 2% increase in November. Shipments of manufactured goods were flat following a half percent increase in November. The key takeaway from this report is the recognition that business spending contributed or continued to increase in December, which is helpful consideration for a soft landing view. So year-to-date up through yesterday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now up 2.6%. The NASDAQ index is up 4.1%. The S&P 500 is up 4%, and their Russell 2000 small cap index is down 3.2% for the year. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here at KGMI. We will be back after a quick break and a little bit of news. Thanks for being with us. A crisp company logoed shirt and uniform from Bergen. Whatcom County's local logo apparel experts makes your employees look and feel more professional. Bergen pairs their commitment to personal service with professional results, specializing in embroidery and all kinds of logoed promotional products. Unlike when you place an order online, Bergen's guarantees that your order will be completed on time to your specifications with a smile. Get your logo on the best brand names out there from North Face, Carhartt, Columbia, Russell Outdoor, Adidas and Izod, Van Heusen, Tommy Hilfiger, and more. Your employees will want to rep your brand in Bergen's logoed work apparel. And why not start a new company tradition with Employee Milestones Appreciation Customized Gear? Elevate your brand with Bergen Customized Company Apparel. From polos to sweatshirts, ball caps to bags and more. Bergen does it all. Give them a call to get a quote within 24 hours. Or stop by the showroom Monday through Thursday on Iron Gate in Bellingham. And online at bergenembroidery.com. Hello folks, this is Phil George. I'm an Elder Lawn Estate Planning Attorney here in Bellingham and I would like to invite you to join me every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. right here on KGMI for the Aging Hour. If you have questions about Medicare, Medicaid, long-term care costs, probates, wills, trusts, or anything else that has to do with aging, this is the radio show for you. Studies show that more than 70% of estate plans fail when families need them the most. Join us every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. and we can show you how to set your family up for success. ENW Perks is satisfying your sweet tooth this week with the Slice of Heaven Bakery and Cafe. Thursday at 8 a.m., you can get a $50 gift certificate to Slice of Heaven for just $25. Slice of Heaven Bakery and Cafe is your go-to spot for sweet treats and tasty meals in Bellingham. Slice of Heaven is family-owned and operated with treats and meals that will be sure to satisfy your taste buds on any day. Stop in for an extravagant variety of rotating baked goods, including cupcakes, dessert bars, massive cake slices, brownies, ice cream, and a cafe serving all-day breakfast plus lunch and dinner options like soup and sandwiches and your favorite comfort food. Looking for a custom cake designed and crafted to your desires? Look no further than Slice of Heaven Bakery and Cafe. Specializing in wedding and custom cake designs, they'll cover all of your wants and needs for that special cake to make your big day or event that much sweeter. Thursday at 8 a.m., spend $25 and get a $50 gift certificate to the Slice of Heaven Bakery and Cafe. Only at pnwperks.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Gimmicks, just the highest quality systems, 0% interest financing, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Rely on West Mechanical heating, air conditioning, and electrical. Contact them today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and mybellinghamnow.com. CBS News Brief. International reaction to the U.S. launching airstrikes yesterday in Iraq and Syria in retaliation for last weekend's deadly attack in Jordan. The Polish foreign minister says... Uh, Iran's proxies have um, played with fire for months and years and it's now burning them. Whole lot of rain on the way for California. Weather Channel meteorologist Kelly Cass told CBS Saturday morning. In Southern California, 8 to 12 inches possible in some areas of Los Angeles and Orange Counties. Los Angeles, we've got a flood watch that goes all the way through Tuesday. 
It is Democratic primary day in South Carolina. Campaign reporter Torian Small is in Charleston. Congressman Dean Phillips, he is expecting this to be a Biden blowout. He told me at one of his events that he expects Biden to win about 95 percent of the vote here. It is the first official Democratic primary of the 2024 presidential race. CBS News Brief. I'm Stacey Lynn. And I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me. And I gladly stand up. Welcome back to Woke Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. Again, we always thank you for being with us. You know, I like to focus every week, uh, take a three-topic look at uh, different topics. And uh, this week, I want to look at the patterns of migration between states, finding your winners and losers. You know, each year, the U.S. Census Bureau produces and publishes estimates of the population in the nation. Populations can change in three ways. People can be born or births. They may die or deaths. Or they may move, domestic and international migration. The U.S. Census Bureau's Population Estimates Program measures this change and and adds the base population to produce updated estimates every year. Our specific focus today is going to center on the change in domestic net migration between states, shedding light on the destinations attracting people and the origins experiencing departures. To gain a more comprehensive understanding of where things are today, we're going to give this break this down into three different summaries. First of all, let's talk about net domestic migration by state. In the most recent annual data available, which was July 1st of 22 through July of 23, South Carolina experienced the highest proportion of domestic net migration relative to its population, standing at 1.5%. Conversely, New York faced the most significant loss, accounting for 1.1% of the state's population. The predominant factors including influencing these migration trends adhere to be lower tax burdens and lower cost of living. Examining the tax landscape, the Tax Foundation gauges a state's burden by considering state and local taxes paid by residents divided by the state's share of the national product. On that scale, there is there, whereas one is the least tax burden state and 50 is the most tax burden state. The 10 domestic migration winners boosted an average tax burden of 21. In contrast, the top 10 domestic migration losers exhibited an average tax burden of 35. So looking at a couple of these, South Carolina, as I said, um, basically was was had a one and a half percent increase in their population, an increase of over eighty two thousand, and from its ranking of tax burden, it ranked number nine in the country. Uh, rather interestingly, Delaware was second, but it ranked forty second. North Carolina was third, but they ranked twenty third. The highest uh, or the highest ranking and ranking number four with nine tenths of one percent increase was Tennessee with 3%. Florida came in in fifth position, ranking 11th in their tax ranking, and they also had a 9 tenths of 1% increase. Now, looking at the 10 biggest losers, New York was down 1.1%, and in in ranking on its state tax burden, it ranked number 50. California was down 9 tenths of 1%, ranks 46. Hawaii uh, was down 8 tenths of 1%, actually had a, had a loss of over 11,000 residents, which is kind of interesting because we keep hearing about people wanting to move to the sunshine. They were ranked 48th in the country. Rather interesting also, number, number uh, four, as far as net losers, was the state of Alaska with 5,543 moving out. That was an eight-tenths of 1% drop, but they have they rank number one in the country as far as tax burden. So it, uh, kind of interesting variations there. Then if you look at domestic net migration by state, uh, many believe the migration patterns during uh, COVID would reverse as people return to work, but that has not happened. The data reveals a sustained trend towards states with lower taxes and lower cost of living. 
We looked at the census data, census data from April 1st of 20 through July of 23, and it shows that Idaho led the way, gaining a whopping 5.3% in domestic net migration as a share of their state's population over that period. On the flip side, New York faced a substantial loss with a 4.5% decrease in domestic net migration as a share of its state population. In terms of sheer numbers, Florida emerged as the leader in net domestic migration, welcoming 818,762 individuals. California witnessed the largest outflow, losing 1.2 million residents. Once again, the top 10 winners in domestic migration over this period displayed an average tax burden of 21. Conversely, the top 10 losers in domestic migration exhibited an average tax burden ranking of 36. And then let's take a U-Haul rental comparison. This is one that's also very interesting. One of the favorite indicators of migration patterns is the price of renting a U-Haul to move from one city to another. On the U-Haul website, you can download quotes for these rentals and compare outbound and inbound pricing. If the price is higher in one direction relative to the other, it's a solid measure of supply and demand. U-Haul tries to develop a pricing scheme that keeps the total supply of usable vehicles uh, roughly stable at each location and at lower or high raise, raise the price depending on the direction. In order to recover excess vehicles, it volumes that don't balance. For instance, taking a 26-foot U-Haul from New York, uh, New York to Naples, Florida, incurs a cost of $5,712. In contrast, picking up the same U-Haul in Naples and driving it to New York costs only $1,429, a mere quarter of the price. This means many more people are moving from New York to Naples than are moving from Naples to New York. Looking at a couple of other comparisons, Chicago to Nashville, $1,762 from Chicago to Nashville, from Nashville to Chicago, $551. Uh, San Francisco, for example, to Boise, Idaho. To, uh, going to Boise, $4,325. You want to go back from Boise to San Francisco, $674. And finally, Los Angeles to Phoenix. Los Angeles to Phoenix, $1,158. Going back to L.A., $374. Kind of some interesting numbers. Kind of shows... Uh, where people are moving, definitely moving to those lower tax states, moving out of the high tax states. Uh, U-Haul numbers are also kind of interesting. Well, I'm going to take a look at another report that I got out here called a gap too wide. You know, regulation can be an important driver of returns for companies in certain industries, yet its trajectory can be challenging to predict. However, the case of reducing carbon emissions the gap between current policy and what many scientists believe is needed to limit global warming may be too large. In our view, this could potentially lead to increasingly stringent emissions policy over time. Current policies and actions project that global carbon emissions to reach approximately 52 billion tons annually in 2030. And while full implementation of current pledges and targets could bring that down to about $48 billion annually. However, the limit global warming, uh, to limit global warming to 1.5% or uh, 1.5 degrees, I should say, centigrade, or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, as targeted in the 2015 Paris Climate Accords, global emissions need to be cut to 27 billion tons annually by 2030. That's almost half where they are currently. And while influential individual governments in various countries may not enact regulation to reduce emissions, in our view, it seems likely that on balance, new policies will likely emerge to address the large gap in the carbon emissions between current trends and global aspirations. So if the desire to lower global carbon emissions stays intact, coupled with uh, stricter emissions regulations, and the growing economic viability of sustainable energy generation and transportation, we believe it may be a tailwind for companies that engage in infrastructure solutions for renewable energy, uranium producers, liquid natural gas producers, and industrial gas producers. So just something to take a look at there. 
And we'd look at this one every now and then, too. We look at the S&P 500 index payout profile, and we're finding that companies that often return capital to their shareholders through dividend distributions, the practice is common that as of January 23rd of this year, 403 of the 503 constituents of the S&P 500 index distributed cash dividends to their equity owners. In addition to acting as a conduit for return of capital, dividend contribute distributions accounted for a significant portion of the index's total return. According to data from Bloomberg, dividends contributed over the 37% of the total return of the index over its 96-year period between December 30th of 27 and December 29th of 23. Data from, from Bloomberg indicates that the dividend payments to the S&P 500 constituents totaled $70.91 a share. That was a record high in 2023. That was up from $60.57, which was the previous record high in 22. As of July 31st of, or January 31st of this year, dividend payments are estimated to be 74.54 per share and 79.66 per share in next year and 25 respectively. Of the 11 major sectors that uh, comprise the S&P 500, eight of them have yields above 1.6% generated by their indexes. Financials, information technology, and healthcare contributed most of the index's dividend payout. Uh, the, uh, the payout ratio for the S&P 500 index stood at around 36.89% in January or December 29th of last year. The dividend payout ratio between 30 and, uh, and 60 is typically a good sign the dividend distribution is sustainable according to the NASDAQ. So looking at a couple of these industries here, we found the consumer staples, 38 companies in that in part made up the uh, part of the S&P 500. 36 of them uh, make pay dividends, and our average dividend was 2.68%. Energy, 25 or, or 23 companies, and all 23 make distributions. Their average is 3.5%. Real estate, 31 companies in the index, 29 of them make distributions. Average is 3.59%. Utilities, there were 30. Uh, eight companies, or you know, 30 companies in the industry, all 30 of them make distributions. Their average dividend rate was, say, 0.67%. So just kind of looking at which companies, which sectors are producing the biggest dividends. Dick Donahue with you. We'll be right back. Pack your bags. It's time for Fun in the Sun with Barron's Spring Break Getaway Giveaway. Any Barron purchase now through February 29th enters you for a chance to win. Whether it's a new comfort system, maintenance, or a tankless water heater, you could win a trip for four. Cabo, Hawaii, or cruising the Pacific. Picture yourself soaking up the rays with Barron's Spring Break Getaway Giveaway. And that's not all. Save up to $7,000 on an energy-efficient Daikin Fit Enhanced Heat Pump, providing year-round comfort that both heats and cools. Plus, it qualifies for the 25C tax credit. Or choose same-as-cash financing. Install today and pay nothing until next year. Every Barron purchase could be your ticket to a dream destination in Barron's Spring Break Getaway Giveaway all February. And Barron's Silver Shield members get 10 extra entries. Not a member? Sign up today. Don't wait for that ship to sail. Call now. Barron, your full-service HVAC, electrical, and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. No purchase necessary. Visit BarronHeating.com for details. If you're struggling with weight and frustrated with dieting each and every year, Mark Patrick Seminars can help. Join the over half million people who have attended Mark Patrick Seminars with great weight loss results. Mark Patrick Seminars will be in Bellingham on Friday, February 23rd. After this hypnosis, I want to eat good food. Since August, I can honestly say I have not had one potato chip. It was life-changing for me. And I don't think about desserts like I used to. Bridget, how much have you lost now? I had lost a total of 83 pounds. Holy cow. It's easy, it's fun. Fun, very relaxing and very successful. And I would just say go for it. Early bird special only $49.99. Lose all the weight you want 100% guaranteed. Friday, February 23rd at the Holiday Inn and Suites Bellingham. Weight loss seminar at 5.30 p.m. Attend this program and find out how the power of hypnosis can help you achieve your weight loss goals. There's limited seating, so get there early. Learn more at markpatrickseminars.com. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA 
Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue here with you this Saturday morning. If you got questions for us, give us a call, 360-733-1200. Again, check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Okay, going to talk a little bit here about nine ways for you to prioritize your financial well-being this year. You know, keeping those New Year's resolutions to save and invest more, to spend less is tough. But here are some steps we think that can help keep you on track. So did you make resolutions for 24? Are you having trouble staying on track? If you're struggling already, you're not alone. January, people often resolve to lose weight, eat better, exercise. In addition, according to a recent poll by Experian reported by CNBC, nearly half of Americans, 49%, pledged to save more money. Just under a third, 31% plan on creating a personal budget. Yet a significant number of these aspirations tend to fade away within a few weeks. So how can you prioritize your financial well-being in the new year? One way is to develop a proactive mindset. So here are some suggestions for you to integrate positive financial management into your daily life. One, get organized. A cluttered environment can contribute to a cluttered mind leading to feelings of stress and reduced productivity. When was the last time that you organized your finances? Consider taking a day to go through your files, shred old records, identify and gather what's missing, update account information, unwanted subscriptions, set up a budget to help track expenses, start an annual income tax folder, establish bill-paying system. Number two, revisit your financial goals. While it's a good practice to review your goals annually, it's also important to evaluate them when you reach a milestone and your circumstances change. If you're divorced, lost a spouse recently, welcomed a new child or grandbaby, relocated in retirement, looking looking forward to retiring in the next five years, now could be a great time to incorporate new goals. Revise or eliminate your goals that no longer apply. Focus on the steps you need to to achieve what you want to find in life And be sure to include your financial advisor in this process, since your decisions may have implications on your portfolio and your tax situation. Number three, take an active role in your financial future. This year, consider having a values-based conversation with your spouse and your advisor. Discuss Discuss what values are important to you, how you might work together to accomplish them. These kinds of conversations can help couples develop more specific shared goals, that positively affect their financial future. While you may not be interested in knowing every detail, you can still benefit by understanding how the big picture supports all that is important to you and your family. Number four, know your net worth. Many people consider using their net worth as a benchmark to understand the progress that they're making towards their financial goals. Simply put, your net worth equals everything you own minus everything you owe. Everything you own includes your investments, your savings, equity in your home, cars and similar assets, and everything you owe could include credit card debt, student or auto loans, alimony, child support, mortgages, personal loans. Taking stock of your net worth each year can help you understand if you're making good progress towards your financial goals or serve as a wake-up call letting you know that you should be saving more and paying down debt. Number five, create, update your estate plan. One of the greatest gifts that you can give your family is a comprehensive plan for how to settle your estate once you're gone. While we recommend working with an estate planning attorney, just documenting your financial information and wishes could be immediately helpful to the loved ones in the event of your death. Number six, safeguard your digital assets. If you don't already have a list of all your online accounts, including usernames, passwords, pins, and two-factor authentication information, start by taking inventory. Document your information, placing in a secure location. Make sure that you have strong and separate passwords. Enact two-factor authentication when possible. Ensure the executive of your estate has access to your login information and keep this up to date. A password vault can be a great assist in this process. Number seven, create a financial goal bag. You never know when a disaster such as a fire, earthquake, hurricane, tornado may force you to quickly evacuate. 
That's why it's important to have copies of important documents, such as IDs, insurance cards, health care directives, birth and marriage certificates ready to take with you in a moment's notice. The Federal Emergency Management Agency offers an Emergency Financial First Aid Kit, or EFFAK, to help you prepare at FEMA.gov backslash emergency dash financial dash first aid kit. Also, form good habits, number eight. Along with your proactive mindset, developing strong habits is key to your success. And while it's great to start the year by setting ambitious goals, it's also important to have a sustainable approach. Instead of aiming for grand transformations, consider starting small and building confidence through measurable steps. And just as you would track your exercise or eating, consider tracking your habits to stay on top of mind. You can use a spreadsheet, a calendar, a journal to hold yourself accountable and give yourself a feeling of satisfaction each day. James Clear, who's author of Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones, tells the story of comedian Jerry Seinfeld, whose goal is reportedly to never break the chain of writing jokes every day. He is not focused on how good or bad a particular joke is and how inspired he feels. He just simply focused on showing up and adding to his streak, according to Clear. Number nine, make a take a values-based approach. Typically, we form habits to help us achieve our goals. However, we can often experience conflicting priorities and can make, process, make the process of goal setting more difficult. An example, this could be determining whether you want to make an extra mortgage payments or invest each mo- amount each month. Another might involve deciding whether you want to build ch- a child's 529 college plan or max out your 401k. You need to try identifying core values before establishing your goals and then use those values as a compass when facing tough decisions. This strategic approach can help you prioritize what truly matters to you, ensuring that your goals align with your fundamental values. In addition, having goals based on values may increase the likelihood of staying the course when motivation is lagging. For example, if independence is one of your top values and you're trying to decide whether to max out your 401k or fund your child's 529, you can look at your values to inform your decision. If you want to have complete financial independence and retirement, want to pass on your independent values to your kids, you may choose to fund your 401k. If your family is most important to you, you may look at that trade-off differently. Both can be appropriate depending on your values. So if you're one of many Americans who set financial resolutions for 24, focus on creating goals informed by your values and consider how you can form strong habits to help you reach those goals this year. It's not too late. It's only February. Okay, well... We saw at the end of last year that IRS unwrapped some of the details. We're finding uh, Secure Act 2.0 was passed in 2021. This takes a while sometimes for uh, uh, the government to get around actually issuing guidance. We saw them make some guidance for us on December 20th. They gave us a holiday gift of some guidance on, on some of the 2.0 provisions. Basically, notice 2402 as in the question of answer format, provides some needed clarification on Social Security 2.0 provisions, some of which are already in effect, others that will come in line here in 24. So beginning in 2023, there was an exception for terminal interest illnesses. Secure 2.0 allowed penalty-free distributions in both IRAs and plans for those with a terminal illness. Notice 24.02 gives more details on who qualifies as terminally ill and confirms that a certification by a physician is necessary in order to qualify. What we're saying there is if you have a qualified plan, you have terminal illness, you can now go in and take money out without paying those 10% penalties. Then step and simple plans. The notice gives significant guidance to the changes and put in place by Secure 2.0 and steps and simples. Simple plans starting in 24, both the under 50 limit and the catch-up limit increased by 10%. Uh, above the 16,000 and 3,500 limits, not only for business, but 25 or fewer employees. So those with very small companies, 2024 under 50 limit is actually 17,600. 
and the catch-up provision is 38.50. So small businesses can put away more money. Businesses 26 to 100 can elect that extra 10 percent, but they have to increase the match from the employer from 3 percent to 4 percent. The notice also addresses how to determine the number of employees to determine eligibility for the increased contribution limits. It gives details on the required notice procedure. Additionally, the notice gives more details on new provisions allowing SEP and simple Roth contributions. These provisions are effective in 23, but a lack of IRS guidance has stalled implementation. The notice confirms that Roth contributions are optional for both employer and employee. It also gives reporting guidance to employers. Answering some of the much-debated questions, the employer must report salary reduction, contributions made to a Roth IRA in Form W-2, with employer matching and non-elective contributions of Roth on Form 1099-R. And there's a bunch of more divisions in there, but as you can hear, we're running out of time. I want to thank you for being with us. Got questions for me? Give me a call, 360-733-1200. And don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. Have a great week. on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.